You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Magento users are urged to patch as risk of exploitation rises. Toyota experiences another cyber attack and some observers blame on grounds of motive, opportunity, and track record, Ocean Lotus. Exodus spyware in the Google Play Store looks like a case of lawful intercept tools getting loose. Moscow seeks to control and limit VPN providers. Mr. Zuckerberg wants regulation. Mr. Barris gets 20 years for swatting. And hey, there's fishing tackle on the Nigerian National Assembly's site. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, April 1st, 2019. As the risk of Magento e-commerce software exploitation rises, experts recommend immediate patching. Magento has made patches available and users of its products should apply them. We note that last Friday we carelessly referred to Magento as Magneto, which of course, it is not. Magento is an e-commerce platform. Magneto is a mutant supervillain and founder of Factor 3, as Professor Charles Xavier would have told our e-commerce desk had they asked him. Toyota disclosed Friday that attackers had accessed customer sales data on its servers in Japan. There's no attribution yet, but speculation has turned toward Vietnamese threat group APT-32, also known as Ocean Lotus. There have been multiple reports since February that Vietnam's government has been engaged in a campaign of industrial espionage aimed at giving its incipient domestic automobile industry a leg up. Toyota's operations in Vietnam may also have been hit in this most recent wave of attacks. The carmaker's Australian subsidiary sustained an attack earlier in March. We heard from Lucy Securities CEO Colin Bastable about the latest incident. He said, quote, I expect that Toyota's Japanese customers are collateral damage in an attempt to steal Toyota's intellectual property, end quote. Noting how widespread industrial espionage has become, Bastable added, quote, All businesses which hold valuable IP should assume that they will be attacked. Unfortunately, businesses seem incapable of learning from others' experiences and must become victims in order to adapt. End quote. Independent security researchers posting their results to Security Without Borders say they've found more Android apps fronting for spyware. The apps represent themselves as mobile operators' service applications, and they appear to have been written in and probably largely for an Italian market. The researchers perceive connections between the Intercept agent, which they're calling Exodus, and Italian company eServe, which is based in the southern Italian city of Cantanzaro and specializes in video management and analytics. The spyware's command and control server is apparently identical to one used to manage eServe surveillance cameras. 
motherboard calls Exodus a case of lawful intercept gone wrong, and they think eServe may have developed it for Italian police, but neither the company nor the police have responded to their inquiries. It's worth noting that there is such a thing as a lawful intercept tool. It's spyware used, ideally, in a carefully restricted and overseen law enforcement investigation. Think of it as a legal wiretap, only done over the Internet and mobile telecom networks, a modern version of getting a court order to put a bug on a phone. The problem here is that if indeed Exodus is the lawful intercept tool many say it appears to be, it's scooping up a lot of quite innocent people's devices and data. There's other issues here as well, the difficulty of controlling what gets into even the walled garden of official app stores. We heard from Will LaSala of OneSpan, who emailed to point out that, quote, this underscores that relying on Google or Apple to detect malicious apps is not a safe idea. Customers should look to protect their own apps with app shielding rather than look toward the platform vendors for increased security, end quote. It's easy, he said, for platform vendors to err on the side of convenience, quote, As such, app developers and companies deploying apps really need to take security into their own hands to ensure their users are protected. The Russian government has served 10 VPN providers with notice that they have 30 days to connect their services to a government blacklist of forbidden sites or cease operations. The companies who got the letter were NordVPN, Hide My Ass, Ola VPN, OpenVPN, Viper VPN, ExpressVPN, TorGuard, IPVanish, Kaspersky Secure Connection, and VPN Unlimited. Four of these, TorGuard, Viper VPN, OpenVPN, and NordVPN, have already stated their intention of exiting the Russian market rather than comply. The Russian government had earlier put the strong arm on search engines to align their results with official policy. Moscow says that they're simply trying to secure the freedom of the Internet and not censor it, but that explanation finds few takers. Facebook CEO Zuckerberg has an op-ed in the Washington Post in which he asks governments to regulate him. First, he'd like to be told what content he needs to block. Second, he wants election laws to be more broadly applied and to regulate content about issues as well as content about candidates. Third, he likes GDPR and thinks it might serve as a model for a global system of privacy enforcement. Finally, he wants data portability guaranteed. If users put data on one service, they ought to be able to move it to another. His proposal isn't really rent-seeking, but it's obvious how laws like this would be good for Facebook. They would certainly shift regulatory and reputational risk from Facebook to the government. It's less obvious how such regulation would be received by those with strong First Amendment sensibilities, but then that's not really big tech's concern. Tyler Barris has been sentenced to 20 years in a U.S. federal prison for his admitted role in Andrew Finch's December 2017 swatting death. Barris's two alleged conspirators, Shane Gaskill and Casey Viner, will have their own fate decided later. They have both protested their innocence. This was an unusually repellent case that put all the Internet's sadly familiar disinhibition and disconnection from reality on display. It's worth reviewing what happened. Mr. Viner, 18 years old at the time, allegedly asked Mr. Barris to swat Mr. Gaskill, then age 19, in his Wichita, Kansas home. Viner and Gaskill were engaged at the time in an online squabble prompted by their play of Call of Duty. 
Mr. Gaskill provided the wrong address and then, the government alleges, goaded Mr. Barris into swatting him. So Mr. Barris called 911 from his home in California, pretending to be an armed man holding his family hostage, and gave police the address he'd received. When the police showed up, the door was answered by the man who lived there with his family, Andrew Finch, and who had no acquaintance with and no connection to any of the three involved in the Call of Duty affair of honor. Police shot Finch in the mistaken belief that he was armed and going for his gun, which of course he wasn't. Mr. Barris said he was sorry in court Friday, but that remorse seems both late and thin, especially given what he did last April when he gained Internet access from jail, broadcasting, You Are About to Get Swatted. And finally, Bleeping Computer may have called it ironic, but it somehow seems inevitable. The website of the Nigerian National Assembly for about two weeks was serving up a landing page for phishing attacks that were after DHL credentials. Needless to say, it wasn't government policy to host this phishing tackle. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. He is also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, it's great to have you back. Hi, Dave. A story came by recently about uh, an app that turned out uh, up to no good. Uh, Describe to us what's going on here. The app was called MobySpy, and it's one of these apps that ostensibly 
is for users to install on their on their children's phones to monitor where they are, or possibly for an employer to install on their phones mm. to monitor the location of their phones. But in actuality, what these what these apps are usually used for is uh, by abusive spouses to track the location and the uh, activity on the phones of of their partners. I see. Okay. Hmm. Uh, so this MobiSpy app would store data in in the cloud, and it left ninety five thousand images and more than twenty five thousand audio recordings of presumably phone calls accessible to anybody who knew where they were. So we're <laughs> so. No login, no, this is an unlocked uh, right. bucket of information exactly. that was just hung out there, and no, no security whatsoever. No authentication, and the, the location of the database was hard-coded into the app. Wow. So you could extract it and then start looking at the data on, on the website, now or there, on, on the cloud, on the database. Now, there's a story here about uh, the attempts for a responsible disclosure with this, Correct. Right? The, uh, the researcher was uh, Kane Heasley, who found the server. And he reached out to MobiSpy to try to get them to, to seal up the, the breach and got no response from their CEO and founder. Hmm. Uh, nothing. And then he reached out to Motherboard, and Motherboard was like, well, how else can we address this? They reached out to GoDaddy and to Codero, who was a cloud hoster. Codero was a cloud hoster, yeah. who said they, they couldn't do anything. So Motherboard hmm. did the next responsible step, and they publicized the information. Now, they did not publicize the name of the app. Because that would represent too much of a uh, a risk to the people whose data was exposed. Okay. But they did name Codera and GoDaddy in the original app. And then, guess what? Codera said, oh, maybe we can't help you. Uh, <laughs> so the, the hosting provider. Right. The hosting provider who initially said, no, we can't do anything about it. Well, now that you've talked about us in the public, okay, we're going to do something they about it. They sort of it. got shamed into it, I Right, guess. exactly. Yeah. They issued a letter to MobiSpy with a deadline of hours, not days, and MobiSpy did not respond they eventually took the content down and, and made it no longer accessible. Huh. The MobiSpy app is no longer, I can't find it in the Google Play Store okay. at all. The, uh, according to the Motherboard article, the web the website's gone and everything. But this irritates me. Yeah, for, <laughs> it's, it's there, close to home for you, right? Yeah, yeah. there is a number of issues going on here. Okay. No, number one, you don't need these kind of apps. Okay, if I want to know where the location of my family is, I share my location on Google Maps with my family. In fact, I do that. So I can I can tell where my where my family is and they can tell where I am. But they're aware that they're sharing that they're information. They're aware not only are they aware there. of it, but every 6 months or 3 months Google sends you an email to let you know who you're sharing your information with. Right. So you, right? you've got consent there. So you've got not not just consent, but continual consent. And okay. So there is no need for this kind of a tracking app on a phone. Okay. Uh, you're covered in other ways. You're covered by in other both, ways. Th- both this, of the popular operating systems. The only reason for these these apps to exist is for people to be abusive to other people. Okay. Th- th- this is my opinion, but I really don't think that these apps have a legitimate purpose. Right. So, so not a fan. Not a fan. Yeah. Right. The other thing in here, and this is something I find very frustrating. One of my roles is uh, vulnerability disclosure manager at, at the at, Information Security Institute. At Johns Hopkins. At Johns Hopkins. Okay. And... Th- Frequently, when we disclose vulnerabilities, I send a package over to a lot of these companies, and I have sent packages to companies, and I have said, who do I disclose software vulnerabilities to? And they go, I don't know. 
So you're the guy who has to send this out and right. try to give them the the good news, bad news. Right, right. Bad news, we found a vulnerability. Good right. news, here's how you fix it. We're coming to you first. Right. Yeah. We're coming to you first because we're going to responsibly disclose this, just right. like just like um, Kane did here. Yeah. I like what the process that Kane, Kane Hazley and Motherboard did. Right. But frequently when I disclose vulnerabilities to people, we tell them, you have 14 days to respond or we're going to go public with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason we tell them you have 14 days is because the first time, first couple of times we did it, we said you have a 90-day window in which to fix this, and we're, we'll disclose it after that. And we heard nothing back. <laughs> so we tell people 14 days so that— So uh, you're using a little social engineering right, here to exactly. turn up the heat. <laughs> exactly. We tell people 14 days, and they go, right. whoa, whoa, we can't fix this in 14 days. Then we say, oh, good. Okay, how long do you need? Right. How right. long do you need? So at least Let's you, discuss get, it. you get a response from them right? because you inject that sense of urgency. Right. The, yeah. We, yeah. we give them an artificial time constraint. Right. Although it's not really artificial, we will release the data in in 14 days if we don't hear back from them. I see. But I do want to reiterate that if they if they so much as respond to us during that 14 day period, then we start a conversation immediately. And if they if they ask for any amount of time, we'll grant it. Yeah. You know. I mean, yeah. we're not going to give you two years. Right. But <laughs> but you're going to be reasonable. About yeah, it. we're going to be reasonable. If you say we need 90 days to fix this, we need six months to fix it. Okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. As long as we're credited with with finding the bug. We're fine with that. Yeah. Just don't uh, don't mean, stick your head in the sand. Yeah. Don't stick your head in the sand. All right. Well, uh, another one of those sad stories we see playing out here with people's personal information just being hung out there yeah. and uh, maybe a lesson about using these types of apps. It seems the only way to get these companies to do something is to publicly shame them. Yeah. It's a and shame. It is a shame. It yeah. is a shame. All right. Well, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.